Uh, we're going to start today in Ephesians chapter 5, that's listed up here. Ephesians 5. I'm just going to read two verses to start us off this morning. Verses 31 and 32. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. I'd like to pray again so I can have God's help when I'm talking. Father, as Daniel was praying about the, uh, the events in Seattle uh, at SPU, it just reminded me so much of the broken world we live in that is that the news is filled every day with events like that and sometimes they come way closer to home like this one but we live in such a broken world and and father one of the most broken aspects of our world is marriage and uh father i pray that as i've been uh just myself, grieved over marriages um, the last weeks, that this morning would not only, uh, it, it would open our eyes to the beauty that you created marriage to be and the picture that it is, Jesus of you and your people, uh, and that it would, boy, it would, it would uh, compel us to know you and and seek you and reflect you, uh, not only in marriages, but in our own individual lives. So, Father, I pray that you would teach us and encourage us this morning through your spirit. Amen. So, this morning, I'm going to start kind of personal. I want to um, thank God this morning for my wife. Where is she? I don't even... Oh, wow, she's back row Baptist there. <laughs> my wife and I celebrated 34 years. <laughs> Yesterday. And in the middle of celebrating our anniversary, I have to confess, we went... We were going to go bicycle riding on a trail between Squim and Port Angeles, and we got five miles from the Hood Canal Bridge, and it was backed up five miles. <laughs> so we decided that we didn't want to spend our anniversary sitting in a car, waiting for the traffic to dispel. So we um, went this, so, you know, beauty of smartphones, my wife did a quick little search to find out where some good bike rides would be, and, and discovered Hansville. Any of you ever heard of Hansville? It's uh, it um, one of the fun things about doing this is the only thing I knew about Hansville was this deserted little area. There's the lighthouse, Point No Point Lighthouse, which is beautiful, and we spent part of our day just enjoying that. And uh, but the rest of it is just like deserted. But as we went on this bike ride, um, man, we found out the 
where Hansville is. I mean, there's thousands of homes in Hansville. Um, so, but as I have to confess, as we were writing, and and my wife, being the ever um, positive one, says, you know, this is it's got to be pretty level because it's right on the water. <laughs> well, about halfway through, as we came around a this corner that said 10 miles per hour, but, you know, we weren't thinking how fast we were going on bikes. <laughs> Must have been more than 10, and we both almost skidded out. And then we came around the corner, and there was this looming hill up ahead of us. And it was about the 15th looming hill that we had encountered. And, and at that point, I, I asked her I, if she was trying to knock me off on our anniversary. <laughs> I said, <laughs> But uh, it was a good day riding bikes and um, just in uh, enjoying the lighthouse, uh, eating ice cream in Paul's Bow, coming back and watching the second Hobbit movie, and just spending a day together, um, enjoying one another and and the marriage that God has blessed us with. Um, those of you that know me are thinking, man, it's pretty amazing that Cindy put up with him for 34 years. But, <laughs> you know, if you listen carefully today, you'll find out how she did that. <laughs> Marriage can be beautiful. And um, I am so thankful, as I said, for my wife and for 34 years that have just gotten better and better and better. Um, marriage can be beautiful, but as I was thinking about what I was going to talk about this morning, the, the phrase came to me, but marriage can also be a beast. Um, and as I talked this morning, and as I was kind of praying before I talked, I, and as we look at marriage, and um, because it can be such a beautiful thing, but like I shared earlier, it can also be and is such a broken thing. I, I want this morning, uh, as, as we talk about both, and this isn't just for married people. This is for single people and, and divorced people and separated people. It's for, it, it's for us to, because as we look at Ephesians 5.32, it says this is a profound mystery. But I'm talking about Christ and the church. That's where our focus is this morning because marriage is to be a picture of an illustration and a reflection of something far greater even. It's this picture of Jesus and the people that he's gathered to be his bride. And if we can get a picture of that, it's going to be, it's going to be wonderful for all of us. But marriage can be a beast. Consider, and I just, some statistics, and, and I think we're familiar with these, but um, that just reminds us of the challenge. 41 to 50% of first marriages end in divorce. 60 to 67% of second marriages end in divorce. 73 to 74% of third marriages end in divorce. And what makes this, to me, look so bleak for the future is that Children of divorced parents are four times more likely to divorce than children of parents that aren't divorced. I mean, so we look ahead to where it's at and where it's going. 
we say, God, we need you. Um, I think it's why most people, and, and the statistics are most people have given up on marriage um, or ceased to value it as special and sacred and, and something to hold in high esteem. And that's what I want to do today. I want us to look at God's plan of marriage as it is, illustrates Jesus and his people and, and to hold it and to in high esteem in a way that it's something that we want to make special and set aside as special in a, in a way that it never has before. Between 1994 and 2003, on an average, only 3% of Americans waited to have sex before marriage. I was stunned when I saw that figure. But I think it's because as Americans, we've given up on the specialness or the sacredness of marriage. Only 3%. That means 97%. And it's not much different for what they call religious or highly religious people. 20% waited. And often when I've been talking to people, kind of start off heavy, aren't I? But stick with me. Often, as we talk about things like this, I hear people hearkening back to the good old days. <laughs> you know, like, oh, man. So, you know what the good old days were? 40 years before those figures, 1954 to 1963, 11%, only 11%. Of Americans waited to have sex before marriage. It, it, the good old days weren't as good as we make them out to be. The sanctity and the specialness of marriage has been on a decline for a long time. So the question is, what's you know what's the problem and and what went wrong and. And as I read in Ephesians, I just simply, and what we're going to look at this morning, I believe we've lost sight of the profound mystery of marriage that Paul is writing about in Ephesians 5, which has caused us to forget how amazing and special and sacred it is and that we want to keep it to be. Paul says this is a profound mystery, but... I'm referring to Christ and the church. The profound mystery of marriage is this, to just to kind of summarize it, that marriage between a man and a woman is to be a picture or an illustration of the relationship between Jesus and his people and his bride. And we've lost sight of this. I think marriage, and the statistics are that marriage has become a, not much more than a legal institution or a union, which for the life of me, as I read these statistics and I look at our world, I'm trying to figure out why do people get married in light of these statistics? Why get married? Uh, 
And beyond the statistics, as I've, as a pastor, met with a lot of people, I know that beyond these statistics of those who are in marriage, so many of them are just surviving. They're not thriving. Um, We need to be captured again as singles and as married couples, captured again by the profound mystery of Jesus and his bride that is talked about in the Bible in a way that revives marriage to be what God created it to be. And so if you're single here this morning, my prayer is that you will be eager to keep yourself as you get a glimpse this morning as we look in God's word of the beauty of Jesus and his bride that is a that that marriage is pictures that as you see the beauty of that that you will be eager to keep yourself for the one that God has for you and if and if you're married that you will eager be eager to be the husband or the wife that God, that reflects Jesus or his church as described in the bible so with that if you turn with me to revelation 19 last book in the bible We're going to start there. Revelation 19. Way at the end of the Bible. Starting at verse 1. And as we come to Revelation 19, we're coming to the culmination of history. And and this is a beautiful picture. It's it's the picture of, of a wedding feast. Of a wedding and a wedding feast that is happening at the end of history. I'm going to read it here. Revelation 19.1. After this, I heard what sounded like the roar of a great multitude in heaven shouting, Hallelujah! Salvation and glory and power belong to our God, for true and just are his judgments. He has condemned the great prostitute who corrupted the earth by her adulteries. He has avenged on her the blood of his servants. And again they shouted, Hallelujah! The smoke from her goes up forever and ever. And the 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and they worshiped God who was seated on the throne and they cried, Amen! Hallelujah! And then a voice came from the throne saying, Praise our God, all you servants. You who fear him, both great and small. And then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters and like peals, loud peals of thunder shouting, Hallelujah. You get the idea? This is a pretty exciting scene going on. For our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory for the wedding of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear and the fine linen stands for the righteous acts of God's holy people. And as we come to Revelation 19, we're coming to this beautiful wedding wedding celebration and, and it's just over and over the angelic surrounding audience. It's just they can't stop just saying, Amen, hallelujah, praise the Lord. As they're witnessing the culmination of history and Jesus and his bride, his gathered people, 
gathered to be together for all eternity. Jesus and his bride. In Revelation 18, it talks about the great prostitute that is referred to in Revelation chapter 19, Babylon, the great Babylon, which is a description of the world's system. And all who love, as, as described in, in, in 1 John, all those who lived for the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life, that's the, the world system and everything that is, that is counter to God and loving him and, and, and in rebellion against him, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride, everything that, that describes our world system, everything we see in the newspapers and advertisements the great prostitute, it says, has been thrown down. It's been defeated. It's, it's over. And, and it's Jesus and his bride together for eternity. You know, in Matthew chapter 4, verses 8 to 10, in the desert, if you remember, right after Jesus was baptized by John, it was that glory, the glory of the kingdoms, the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, the pride of life, that the devil offered to Jesus. Do you remember? The devil says, I will give all this to you if you fall down and worship me. And it was his legitimate right to offer that because Adam and Eve, when they sinned in the garden and they gave up their rule and, and the devil became the god of this world, the, the prince of the power of the air. And, and so he's in the desert offering Jesus all this glory and all these kingdoms if he would just fall down and worship him. And if you understand the temptation that that would have been to Jesus, it's, it, it would have meant to have all of that glory and avoid the cross without going to the cross. And, and yet what it would have meant would have been abandoning his bride. In Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, it says, For the joy set before him, and that was redeeming a people for himself and drawing a bride to himself. For the joy set before him, Jesus, he abandoned that offer of all the glory apart from the cross, and he endured the cross. He despised the shame, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of the Father as the groom awaiting the day when his bride would be brought to himself. You know, God the Father planned from eternity a bride for his son. You know, kind of like uh, parents. Well, in, in some parts of the world, they, they plan a marriage for their children. But the Father from eternity, he planned a bride for his son. But unfortunately... According to Romans 3.23, it says, All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And this bride that God created in his image, this people that he created in his image to be in relationship, intimate relationship with him for all eternity, those people created in his image rebelled against him and, and, and all have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. They loved the world and they turned their back on their creator. And then their creator came, Jesus. 
and this is the incredible story, Jesus, the creator of the universe, came as a groom seeking his bride, willing to go to the cross and die on the cross for those who turned their backs on him, spurned his love, and yet he was willing to go to the cross so that we, his people, created in his image who rebelled against him could be redeemed. He purchased us back. That's the mystery. That's, that's the first part of the mystery is the beauty of the groom and the cost, what it cost him to pursue us as his bride. Romans 5.8 puts it this way. It says, God demonstrated his love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You know, the beauty of this mystery isn't, isn't of, it, it, it's of brokenness. <laughs> that the Son of God, our Savior, Jesus, the groom, was broken himself for so that he could heal that brokenness and redeem us out of that brokenness, out of our brokenness and be in relationship with him. Do you see that profound mystery? I mean, unless we get this mystery, we won't get the majesty of marriage. <laughs> that the creator of the universe in seeking a bride for himself gave his own life to redeem and deliver his bride who had become a slave to the God of this world, the devil. You know, no wonder in Revelation 19, there's this, I mean, the, the angels in, in 1 Peter 2, it says, they, they marvel to look and try to comprehend this redemption. and They can't, it's too amazing. And yet we see them in, in Revelation 19, just crazy as they're observing it as outsiders. No wonder there's such rejoicing because, you get it, it's not just a commoner, and, and we've seen stories of that in history, right, where a, a king marries a commoner. And, uh, and, and we all get kind of excited about that, you know. It's like, man, maybe even one of us could become royalty, you know. <laughs> but it's, not, it's this story isn't just about a commoner who became a queen, but it's a criminal convicted to death for treason against her king who is pardoned by the king himself at the cost of his own life. Do you get that? That's the story of salvation. And that's the marriage that is being celebrated in Revelation 19. Andrew Murray, in his book, Light Christ, is a beautiful devotional book, expressed it this way. And I'm going to just read it. He says, what we need is just to take time and shutting our eyes to all around us, worship and wait until we see the infinite love of God and all its power and glory streaming forth upon us through the heart of Jesus, seeking to make itself known to us and to get complete possession of us, offering itself to us as our home and resting place. That's what we need. If marriage is going to be what it needs to be, if is for us to have that sense of wonder of the unconditional love of our Savior 
our groom, who at such great cost to himself, gave himself to make us his bride. And that's the reason I think that there's such anticipation and excitement at the wedding in, in Revelation chapter 19. It's the huge cost that the king was willing to pay to wed his bride. It's incomprehensible. Do we get that? Do we get that? Men, just talking to men here right now. It is this same costly way that we are to approach marriage. It isn't a false love that just wants to get her into bed, but a love that finds our joy in her joy. A love that is willing to give our lives for her. A love that keeps serving and sacrificing for the one you love. If we get this mystery of marriage and, and what Jesus was willing to do and go through for us, men, we have got to see that and say, that's the man that God wants to be to me. As I'm in my marriage or as I'm anticipating marriage, that's, that's the calling that God has. It, it's far, far higher than the institution of the legal union that we've reduced it to be. But notice, in Revelation 19, if you're still there, there's a second reason uh, and a second part uh, why there's such excitement. Look at verse 7, Revelation 19. It says, Let us rejoice and be glad. Give him glory, for the wedding of the Lamb has come. His bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given to her to wear. And the fine linen stands for the righteous acts of God's people. And the excitement isn't just over the, the cost that the groom was willing to pay in order to bring his bride to himself, but it's because his church, his people, have prepared themselves for him. You see that? It says his bride has made herself ready. It's because... God's people have prepared themselves. Um, in Matthew 5, 16, it says, Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who's in heaven. And that's what it's saying here. The bride, God's people, have made themselves ready by living lives of such overwhelming gratitude for what he was willing to do for them that their lives are just poured forth in good deeds for him. And towards him. Man, what a beautiful response to his love. His bride, the church, waited and kept herself pure and lived to please him in anticipation of her wedding day. Boy, that's different than the, the brokenness we see in the world, isn't it? The anticipation of that wedding day and, and his costly love towards her, she, she says, I'm going to keep myself for that day. Flip to 2 Corinthians, if you would, there, where Paul talks about this, 2 Corinthians chapter 11. It's a really powerful verse, 2 Corinthians 11. Paul says, I hope you will put up with me 
and a little foolishness. <laughs> yes, please put up with me. Because he's going to talk kind of like, like a crazy guy here. He says, I'm jealous. He's talking to the Corinthians, the believers in Corinth. He says, I'm jealous for you with a godly jealousy. I promised you to one husband to Christ so that I might present you as a pure virgin to him. This is Paul talking to the Corinthians about the specialness of how he wants them to see their relationship to Christ. He said, that I might present you a pure virgin to Christ, but I'm afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's, serpent's cunning, your minds may somehow be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. Sincere and pure devotion to Christ. Does that, does that describe our, our devotion to Christ? In 2 Corinthians chapter, excuse me, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 6 to 8, the preparedness of Christ's bride anticipating the wedding feast that is described in Revelation chapter 19, it describes as Paul's about ready to, to die, he says, all those who have longed for his appearing, that's how he describes the anticipation of the bride of Christ as we live our lives and as we anticipate death. Is that us? We're so, so, that sincere, there's no, there's no fakeness to it, there's no hypocrisy to it, just a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. Longing for his return, longing to see him. Or we have people who, who we don't see that mystery, we don't see the costly love of our Savior drawing us to himself that, that just makes us eager for him. So as we live our lives, we're eager to live our lives for him. And as we anticipate death, we're just eager to be with him. That's the mystery that marriage is to imitate. In James chapter 4, verses 4 and 5, just, just one more verse. I'm going to actually turn to it. James 4, 4 and 5. The people that James is writing to haven't seen their relationship with Christ in such a mysterious and, and, and amazing thing. And listen what James says to them. James 4, 4, he says, you adulterous people. And he's not talking about marriage. He's talking about Christ and his people. Don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity or hostility against God? If you're living for the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life and all the world that has to offer... If you're a friend of the world, that's hostility towards God. That's the, in, in Revelation 18 and 19, that's the great prostitute. That's the world system that is in rebellion against our groom, Jesus, who has given his life for us, his bride. Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit that he has caused to dwell in us? God is a jealous God. 
He created us for himself and we rebelled against him and he's redeemed us to bring us back to himself at amazing cost to himself. And he's jealous <laughs> of us who would be friends of the world that is in opposition and rebellion against him and we'd be drawn and attracted to that as opposed to him who gave himself for us. Men, you can go to sleep for a sec. Women. <laughs> it is the same pure and patient waiting of the church for Christ's return that is to keep you until you until your marriage day and keep you pure responding to or praying for your husband's love in your marriage rather than looking elsewhere for love. Do you see the profound mystery we just glimpsed? Christ's amazing and costly love for his people and his people responding to his love with sincerity and purity and grateful service. It's a marriage made in heaven. It's a, it's a marriage that we as his people look forward to someday as described in Revelation 19. So just to kind of wrap things up, so why is marriage or the anticipation of marriage in our society so broken? I think it's because, number one, we've lost sight of the beauty and wonder of Christ's love for us. See, that's, that's the mystery, the beauty and wonder of Christ's love for us, if we could see it. But because we've lost sight of the beauty and wonder of Christ's love for us, we've lost sight of our anticipation. We've lost our anticipation for him and his return. And so we involve ourselves in the world around us and its lusts and its pleasures and its pride. And we're sidetracked by those things because we've lost sight of Jesus and our longing to be with him. And so marriage isn't patterned after Christ's relationship with his bride. It's become an institution or a ritual that we do. Maybe some of you are thinking, wow, is it too late for me? We live in a broken world. That's how I started. Uh, I've been unfaithful. I, I've been, I am that statistic. Uh, is there any hope for me? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. See, that's the picture of Romans 5.8. God demonstrated his love toward us, and while we were sinners, Christ died for us. That's, that's our groom in our brokenness, in our sinfulness, in our rebellion. He's reaching out to us at the cost of his own life to redeem us and draw us to himself. And so Revelation 2.4 gives us three things I'd just like to, just like to mention. Revelation 2.4 is, as Jesus is writing to his bride at the church of Ephesus, and they've wandered from his love, they've forgotten his love, as probably many of us here this morning have. We've, we've lost sight of his amazing love for us. 
drawing us to himself as his bride. This is what he says. If that's where we're at, if, if, if you've lost sight of that and you're broken, number one, remember. Remember. And that's what we're doing this morning. Remember God's love for you in Jesus. <laughs> just like, like Andrew Murray says, just allow that to create a sense of wonder and awe and, and, and let it possess you. Go back to his word and remember his love for you and what it cost him and how much he longs to have a relationship with you. Number two, repent. Repent of, and we need to repent. I need to regularly repent of how I fail to be the husband that my my wife needs and and the husband that I'm supposed to be to her. Because I get my eyes off of Jesus and I get my eyes on the world and when my eyes are off of Jesus, I'm not the lover of my wife that I should be. I tell you, I, it is so true that when I am, my eyes are on Jesus and I'm mesmerized by his love, then I'm the lover of my wife that she needs. And that's what's possible for all of us. As we get our eyes, as we remember and then we repent, God, I've, and I've, I've gotten my eyes off of Jesus. And, and I've screwed up. And I've been unfaithful. Or my marriage is broken. or what? It's, it doesn't matter. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and, and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness and, and again form us to be that, that bride that is anticipating and longing and looking for him and, and that husband and wife that we need to be or that or that person anticipating marriage. Remember, repent, and then move forward in obedience, living a life of, that overflows that love in gratitude and good deeds, as described in Revelation chapter 19. Let's pray. And just before I pray, I just want to remind you that um, there will be a couple of people in the roasting room, which is the room at the far back of the, at the coffee house. And uh, if you'd like to pray with them, ask for prayer, um, they'll be there to pray with you um, as we continue to worship and celebrate the Lord's Supper together. They'll be back there to pray with you if you'd like to pray with them. Father, I just feel like I've hardly done justice to, to helping us to get a glimpse of the beauty of that day when we as your bride, Jesus, will be wedded to you for eternity and so will ever be with you. Oh, Father, open our eyes, I pray, through your spirit to see and to believe and to be enamored and, and afresh in love with Jesus that we might live for him and, and in our lives here on earth as single people or married people so also reflect that love and that responsiveness that we see in Jesus and his church. Thank you, Jesus, for loving us so much. Amen.